Esther chapter 4 and verse number 1. And the word says, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him. But he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatach and one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatach went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened to him and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. And Hatach came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And Esther spake unto Hatach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter." that he may live, but I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Jump down to verse number 14. said, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there enlargeth and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Reading some verses here from Esther chapter 4 this morning, I'd like to focus in on verse number 14 at the end as we think about the thought of for such a time as this. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious and dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we thank you once again for the opportunity and the privilege we have to be back in your house here this morning. Father, we thank you for all the many blessings you've given to us. Father, we thank you for your everlasting and eternal love that you have for us. Father, we're thankful that you sent your Son to this earth, shed his blood for our sins, we might have everlasting life. Lord, forgive us for times we have failed you. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Lord, take the reading of your word here this morning. Bless it and use it as you see fit. Lord, just take the reins of the service. Let all things be done to glorify you. Please be with the many prayer requests and objects as well, dear Lord. And we thank you for everything that you have done, what you're doing, and what you promise you shall do. We love you, Lord Jesus. For in Jesus' name we do ask and pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated there this morning. This is the time in Israel's history of which, of course, they have been carried captive preceding this book, Ezra and Nehemiah, they've gone back to work on rebuilding Jerusalem and, and the temple that was there. But there is still many of the children of Israel and the Hebrews that are scattered throughout the kingdom at this time, the kingdom of Persia. And here in this point in time in this passage in Scripture, we see that there is a godly woman, a Jewess, who's going to be placed in a position of which she could carry out God's will and have a purpose and a task in delivering God's people that's there. To fully understand what's going and taking place in this chapter, we have to look back at what was going on previously here before. 
in the book in the book of Esther, chapter number three, it said in verse number seven, it said in the first month, that is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast her, that is the lot, before Haman from day to day, and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. And Haman said unto the king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep thee the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it unto the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jews' enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Notice, first off, this morning, let's notice the precarious situation. Here we see that there is a wicked enemy that is in a place of power at this point in time. Here we see Haman. Interesting enough, you notice that the scripture mentions that he was an Agagite. You may say, who was Agag? Well, if you go back to the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 15, this is during the reign of Saul, you'll find there was a king of Amalek whose name was Agag. He was an enemy of Israel. In Exodus chapter 17 verse 16, going even further back, God had said himself that he was going to have war with Amalek. It was going to be that God was going to have Amalek destroyed off the face of the earth. As a matter of fact, they gave Saul the commandment to go out and destroy them utterly. Chapter 15 in 1 Samuel there, of course, it bears the famous words, you know, what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep. He went out and decided instead of Saul completely destroying the Amalekites and completely taking all those away that God had commanded there, he said, kept the best back, and he said, well, I'm going to sacrifice. To which we know the well-known verse where Samuel said, to obey is to be better than sacrifice. Now, all this time later, we see making mention now of one who is called an Agagite, one who is likely of the seed and that following thereof of Amalek, an enemy to the children of Israel, an enemy to the Jews of this time. We see that Haman is in a position of power, something that would be an equated to being like a prime minister, if you will, at this point in time. The passage we just read in chapter number 3, we see even that he went out and he began to lay out his scheme, to lay out his plot. The king gave him his ring that was there. That ring was a symbol, a token of his power because that ring would be a crest. And anything that had a royal decree that was to be treated as coming from the king, they would take and seal it with wax and they would impression that ring upon the seal. And that was a mark of approval from the king. That was a mark and a symbol of authority at that time. We see a precarious situation in which the wicked enemy of power is hatching a scheme to bring about the destruction of the Jews at this time. Not just there in the capital city, not just with the remnant that was going to be back behind in the Holy Land, but in all provinces at this time in the kingdom of Persia, in all the people that were scattered abroad. Verse number 8 of chapter 3, we see notice that there was a false accusation made toward God's people. So there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. How about that? He's saying there's a different people that's out there. You know, the Bible says they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right. 
Whereas being Christians and as being called apart, we're also a separate people. We're a peculiar people. We are set apart. If we are following God's commandments, we're not going to do all the same things that the world is trying to do that's out there. We are acting differently. We're living right. We're trying to do what God has given to us. Same thing in this day. The Jews were God's chosen people. They kept a different custom. Why? Because they kept the law of God. They didn't go out and do the same things that were there. They still, however, had a respect for authority. How do we know that? Go back and look at Ezra. Go back and look at Nehemiah. You'll find where they found favor for the king. The king gave them charge to be able to return back and do the work of God that they had back in Jerusalem. They were law-abiding citizens. They would have been respectable people of society during that point in time. But Haman, for his hate of Mordecai, for his hate of the Jews, is now bringing about a false accusation. Notice in verse number 9, not only does he make an accusation towards them, he's also bringing out some blood money. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the ends of those that have the charge of the business to bring it in into the king's treasuries. He's saying, you know what? You're gonna, we're going to go out. We're going to destroy this people from amongst thy kingdom because it's not profitable. It's not good that you're going to need to keep the Jews that's here. But we're going to go out and say, you know what? Any lost revenue, anything you may lose, you know what? I'll pay you back for it. I'll just give you a nice sum of money and we'll smooth it over a little bit. Boy, don't we see that happening in our world today's. A lot of people see the things that's being done wrong. You know what? We'll throw some money at it. We'll smooth it over just a little bit. And we'll pay so much towards it. And they'll forget all about it. smooth over it. And won't even think nothing about it. We know the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So many people go in and look to the almighty dollar and greed. And it'll get them in nothing but trouble. Not only we see the false accusation as part of this wicked plan and the blood money. But notice also the bloody edict in verse number 12 of chapter 3. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. Who had the king's ring at this time? Oh, Haman did. He sealed it there. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women. In one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is in the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for prey. The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. A post went out being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city Sushan was perplexed. Now we see the edict has gone out. Haman has got his plan set in motion. He's wanting to go out and destroy the Jews, sealed it with the king's ring, and I've now been sent out to all the provinces that were there. I believe the number was something about 127 provinces. The kingdom of Persia stretching from the borders and the regions of India all the way over even towards the borders of Egypt accompanying a large swath of, that, of the world at that point in time and company many people at this point in time. And throughout all those provinces, Haman was going to have the Jews wiped off the face of the earth, or so he thought. That was his plan towards God's people that was there. It's interesting if you look in the last part of verse number 15. It said, but the city Sushan was perplexed. Whenever the decree was heard there, the people in the city heard it. And of course, perplexed means to be greatly baffled, to be totally and completely puzzled. Now thinking, where has this come from? While all of a sudden these people that we have been serving with, Mordecai being in the king's gate, being there, someone that actually had saved the king himself from an evil plot that was there, 
And no one, no doubt of the people that they were respectable there. We know that God has blessed them. God still blesses the Israelites to this day and the Hebrew people. He blesses all that they do and their blessing was still upon them at that time. And now they're being, being perplexed and wondering, why are we going out and taking out these people? Why are we going out to destroy that? And it caused a lot of her confusion and a lot of discourse and a lot of confusion in the city at that time. But it says in King and Haman sat down to drink having such an uncaring attitude towards the evil plot that was there. Almost as if to celebrate that I've got my plan in motion. Old Haman, that wicked enemy, was placing the God's people in a precarious situation. But notice also the profitable position. In Esther chapter number 2, in verse number 17, we find that the scripture says this, And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast unto all his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when the virgins were gathered together a second time, the Mordecai sat in the king's gate. Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. Here we see Esther, a Jewish, a Jewess. You'll find that she was, again, being a Hebrew, part of the captivity that was led away. And also, you would find by studying that she was also an orphan. Mordecai raised her as his own daughter. Here she was, a Jewess, a captive, an orphan, but yet God saw fit to make it so to where she was going to be made queen over this Persian empire at this point in time. Queen over this greatest empire at this point in time upon this earth. God was positioning things to be in a place and a part of his plan and a part of the purpose that was there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse number 27 says this, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God has a plan in all things that were taking place. It was a situation that was beginning to shape up and looking badly for the children of Israel, to look badly for the Jews at this point in time. But now he's got someone that's going to be an instrument of his will. Someone that's going to be able to do something about the plot that was there to try to destroy the children of Israel. He's got Esther now put in a profitable position as queen right beside the king that was there. Her world, you could say, was turned upside down. Things were many different. Here she was going to... Of course, living her life as there before, she had a hard upbringing, no doubt, being an orphan, being someone who was raised there by Mordecai. But of course, we saw in verse 19 and 20 of chapter 2, she had great reverence for Mordecai. She still listened to his commandments. She still listened to his guidance and his advice. She had great respect for him. And she, her world had changed a lot. She had been taken away and now found herself no longer amongst her people, but now amongst the king's palace, now in an unusual place, now in a place having chamberlains and having servants and having maids appointed and waited upon her. A totally different location, a totally different place than where she was before. But God had a plan to turn it all for good. And all of you see the precarious situation, the profitable position. But notice the providence of God. Back to chapter number 4. Verse number 6, chapter 4, it said, So Hatach went forth to Mordecai, and the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. 
And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make request before him for her people. And Hadash came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And again Esther spake unto Hadash and gave him commandment unto Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces, do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his, to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai this answer. Go, gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther here, we notice in verses 11, back up there, we see that she had some regard, she had some concern. We mentioned here in the scripture that she had not been called to go before the king for 30 days. Kind of an unusual thing, don't you believe, for the king's wife, not to be called in for 30 days. Maybe he was tied up with matters of state, maybe he had things that he needed to do. Maybe it could have been Haman, part of the plot of the old devil that was there, part of the plot of the wicked one trying to keep her away from the king. Scripture doesn't say what it was for those 30 days there, but she knows that there is a law that those who come before the king not being called are to be put to death. Save the king, stretch out that golden scepter. And more or less say, come and touch it. I've acknowledged you. I'm glad that you are here. Come and see before the king. She knows that this is going to be something that be great concern. It very well could be a matter of life and death for her to take this petition and go before the king that's there. Notice she also had a requirement. Verse number 14. We saw that, and again, notice these words here. It said, but thou, or in verse Let's read the verse again. For thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. You know, when things happen in this life, sometimes we wonder how things are going to happen, where things are going to go. But God's will will always be completed. It's never going to fail. Man and other devices and instruments that God would use to fulfill his will may fail, but God's will will not go unfulfilled. Whenever God is going to make a promise, I was just reading the devotions the other day, the scripture said, God who cannot lie, the very one who makes a promise, and you can take it to the bank, you can put it there, it's more secure than anything that's federally insured. When God makes a promise and God has his will, it is going to come to pass. No matter what the world says, no matter what mankind says, no matter what the devil says. Esther here has got a requirement. And we see that Mordecai is saying unto her, But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Mordecai knew very well that despite all the evil that was happening, despite the turbulence that had happened to the children of Israel and to the Hebrews at this point in time, 
that God had a plan, God had a will, and he knew that it was very well possible. He knew that it was very well likely that more often and more possibly than not that Esther had been put into the position that she was at so that she could go out and effect and to go out and carry out God's will and save the people that was there. It was not by accident. Some people may refer to things happening in this life as luck. I believe in providence. When things happen, it's because God had a purpose and a plan for things to take place. Luck doesn't have a thing to do with it, but it is a plan that God has. But notice in verse 16, Esther had a resolve. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Sushan, and fast ye for me, neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to law. If I perish, I perish. That's a brave and a bold thing to say. That despite the risk of her life, despite the risk that she would have towards her, she was willing to go all the way and do what was going to be required of her. If you notice, it's also interesting in this verse, what does she say? She says, And fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night and day. I also, my maidens, will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. She had requested and say, You know what? I'm not going to just dive in headlong and say, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. Will you do the same likewise for me? I'm going to have the maidens that are underneath me do likewise as well to fast and pray. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, whenever we have times in our lives that we're faced with great dilemmas, times in our lives when we are faced with great choices, I'm thankful we don't have to face those alone. We've got God the Father, God the Savior, God the Holy Ghost is going to bear with us every step of the way. But you've also got your brothers and sisters in Christ that you can lean on and that you can rely on. Say, hey, I'm going through a rough patch. Won't you help me out? Will you help me pray about it? Hey, I've got a battle that's ahead. It may not be a situation as dire as life and death as this point in time for Esther, but it can no less be a dire situation to you. Something that you are going through and that you can take it before the throne of grace. That's another thing that's a complete opposite of what we see here. He had to go, she had to go in before the king and she had to be called or else have that scepter held out. But weren't you glad that you and I can go to the throne room of God, the king of the universe? We can go boldly before the throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need. We have the priesthood of the believer. of God, the blood of Jesus, we're able to go in, make our petitions known. Even the scripture says that he make, the Holy Spirit make utterance and groanings for us. We don't even know what to pray all the time, but he's still helping us there every step of the way. We can go boldly into that throne room. Here, Esther is faced with the, with the earthly king and the earthly throne room. But also notice the reward that she has given here as well. In chapter number 5 and verse number 1, it said, Now it came to pass on the third day. Notice she didn't wait around. She didn't wait for asking for more time. But whenever she was believed that she needed to do what she needed to do, she acted upon it. Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house, and the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house, over against the gate of the house. And it was so, when the king saw Esther, the queen sat in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther knew dear, drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be even given to thee to the half of the kingdom. I want you to notice that she obtained favor in the king's sight. 
You know, oftentimes we look and think about getting the favor of that earthly king, but I don't believe that would have happened if not for the king above. She found favor in his sight, who began turn, gave her favor in that earthly king's sight there as well. Said he saw the court, he held out the scepter, saying, Come on in. That's good to see you. Not only does he allow her to come in, but he says, What does I want? What is our petition? I'll give you up into half the kingdom. God had given her favor in with the king at that point in time. God had the providence. God had the guidance over Esther's life. Notice also this morning the preservation of God. Chapter number 7 of the book of Esther, verse number 1. So the the king and Haman came to banquet with Esther the queen. There's been some events we saw happen in between. Esther began to make the petition known and to bring Haman and the king before. You will find that Haman was compelled to exalt Mordecai, the very one that he hated. He thought that he was going to get the honor. If you look, say that in chapter number 6. He thought he was going to be the one that the king was going to honor. But instead, the king was going to honor Mordecai. Why? Because Mordecai was the one who had saved his life before. And now, and then old Haman had to go out and lead the king's steed with the Mordecai riding upon it, wearing the king's crown and wearing the king's royal apparel and had to proclaim honor unto him and have everyone reverence Mordecai. He went to his home. He went there defeated. And of course, his family and his wife all said, this is not a good sign. Something's not right right here. And now in chapter number 7, we see that Esther's got another banquet of bringing Haman here. Verse 2, and the king said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And that shall be granted thee, and what is thy request? And that shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition, and my people at my request. Now remember at this point in time she has not revealed that she was a Jewess. She's not revealed that she's of God's people. She's kept that to herself. But now, she's going to make it known. Verse 4, For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. And the king and Hazarus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he? And where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. Boy, didn't the tables turn real quick there. Old Haman, prime minister, king's favorite at that point in time, proud, boastful. Well, we know what scripture says about prideful, right? Go with before destruction, not his spirit before a fall. He's getting ready to fall flat on his face. He's there at the banquet and she's beginning to make known what's going on there. The king said, who is he? Can't you just picture that banquet table and saying, there he is. There's the one who's given, who's sold my people to be destroyed. Here's the one who's launched that evil plan that was going to be there. Now all of a sudden those tables are turned. We see Haman is now in fear of his life that's there. Verse number 7, the king arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath went into the palace garden and Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther and the queen for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine. And Haman was fallen upon the bed where Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Arbona, one of the the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. Old Haman, 
that wicked and arch enemy had a plan that he was going to destroy God's people. No doubt bred by the devil. If the devil could have destroyed God's people, where would the line of Christ have come from? Yet one more of the attempts of the devil trying to sidestep what God had promised so long ago. Yet we see that Esther, put in a place for such a time as this, was put providentially in a precarious situation, was providentially positioned by the providence of God to carry out the preservation of God that was there. And now we see old Haman, as soon as the king said, the word had left his mouth, said they covered his face. Whenever they're going to execute someone, what do they do? Especially back in the old days, they covered their face. They covered it there so they could no longer see the king, no longer see the crowd that was there, and they were no longer going to be seen by the people that was going to carry out the judgment. The very gallows, which he had planned to kill the one he hated, Mordecai upon, and no doubt to kill even many more of the Hebrews at that point in time, was the very instrument of his own destruction. But it didn't even stop there. God continued to carry out and preserve his people. Not only did he destroy the evil one that was there, but another interesting thing, if you recall earlier, a little side footnote here. Remember how we were talking about how he was an Agagite? If you look in Esther chapter 2 and verse number 5, you'll find that it says that Mordecai was a son of Kish. Do you know who else was a son of Kish? Saul was a son of Kish as well. You'll find in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We can come in full circle that God is carrying out what would have been done even farther before. If you look in Esther chapter number 9, in verse number 1, it said, Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. The very same day, which they had cast a lot, they had cast purr, which would have been a pagan thing to go out and try to divide what they thought would have been the luckiest day that they would have had the greatest success in going out and killing the Hebrews and fighting against the Hebrews that was there, was the very same day the king's decree had turned about where if you read the chapters in between we skipped over, you'll find that the king gave decree, gave power unto Mordecai. Mordecai got the king's ring. They sent out another proclamation that the children of Israel, the Hebrews that were there, could fight for their life, that they could fight to preserve themselves. And on the self-same day, the very day that they were slaughtered, prepared to be slaughtered that was there, God was delivering them. Verse number two, then the Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the province of the king of Hazarus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt. And no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. And all the rulers of the provinces, and the lieutenants, and the deputies, and the officers of the king helped the Jews, because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out through all the provinces. For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with a stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction, and did what they would unto those that hated them. And in Shushan the palace... The Jews slew and destroyed 500 men. Look at this next set of names here. And Pershaditha, and Daphon, and Aspatha, and Paratha, and Adelia, and Aridatha, and Parmashta, and Ursai, and Aridai, and Vasjestha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Amadatha, the enemy of the Jews, slew they. But on the spoil lay they not their hand. Not only did God give them the victory, but he was giving them absolute and total victory. You'll find those ten sons of Haman, if you continue to read, were also hung upon the exact same gallows that Haman himself was as well. God preserved his people, gave him the protection and the preservation that they needed. Despite the enemies that were there, he gave them complete and utter victory over their adversaries. For such 
a time as this. Here we see Esther, the one who had an unfortunate situation in the beginning. Some would say her world would have been turned upside down, but yet God had a plan and a purpose from the get-go. He placed her in a position which she could be the protector and intercessor for her people before the king. can help but also think about someone else who was placed in a difficult situation as well. You would go back in your Bible and you would find the story about a man named Joseph who was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Found himself being in the household of the captain of the guard and found himself being wrongfully accused and cast into prison and forgotten about. There came a time that he interpreted dreams and he was remembered and Someone recalled that before Pharaoh, the one that remembered dreams, that came out and said they had to give him a bath, they had to shave him, they had to clean him up. And he stood before Pharaoh and interpreted the dreams. And then Joseph found himself being the second in charge of the land of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And through his wisdom, the position that God gave him, not only was the world saved, but also the seed of Father Jacob and all his brothers was saved as well from the famine that was there. You can go through Scripture and you can find situation after situation in which God put people in a certain place at a certain time because he had a will and he had a purpose for them. Esther is no different. She was put in a position of power and revealed that she was one of God's God's people, one of God's children of Jew that was there, and God used her in a great and mighty way to help her people that was there. What position have you been put into? It may not be a situation like Esther. You might not find yourself being the queen of a nation but you may find yourself being a leader in your family. You may find yourself being a leader in certain situations. You may find yourself being in a dark place and had your world turned upside down and you have no idea why things are going the way they are. God may very well have put you where you are for such a time as what is about to take place. For such a time as this. We should take a lesson from Esther. Not be afraid of what's there despite the risk but wholly trusting in God, praying and trusting in Him that He's going to direct every step of your path. She had others there to help. You're not alone. We know that God has said He's never going to leave us and He's never going to forsake us. It's not by our strength. We read earlier that no flesh should glory in His presence. God makes it abundantly clear that He gets people out of the messes and out of the dire straits that they're in through His power and His strength. I can't do nothing by myself. I'm just flesh. I have to trust the Lord that He's going to see things through, that He's going to take care and direct the paths. And as a child of God, we can't do it on our own. As a church, we can't do it on our own. As a nation, we can't do it on our own, but it's going to be through Him and through His strength that's there. The book of Romans in chapter number 8, a very familiar passage of Scripture, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. 
Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Whatever situation you've been placed in, you and I have got a promise that we can lay hold on to. You and I have got a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You and I have got one that loved you so much. He bled and died and gave his life for you. He died upon that cross. If he did love you so much there, do you think that's where it ends? Do you think that's where it stops? No, he keeps on loving us. Despite the wrong that we do, despite the bad things that we do, and sometimes we're unruly children, but he loves us so much, he'll still chastise us, he'll still correct us, but he still stays with us every step of the way. Whatever situation you're in this morning, whatever trial, tribulation, hard time, it may very well be that God has put you there for a very specific reason. If we love God and we follow Him, He's going to have all things work out for good. We may never know in this life how it worked out. We may never know in this life how things are going to work out there, but I like that old song that says, Farther along, we'll understand why. It's not what on this side what really matters. It truly matters what's on that side. What we lay above. Brother Seth, would you mind coming to this morning? Maybe you're in a place this morning, you've got some decisions ahead of you. You're in a trial, you're in a tribulation. And it may be that God has put you there for such a time as what's happening now. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. If God spoke to you, maybe you want to come to the altar and pray that God would give you the guidance that you need, who give you the strength that you need to make those good decisions. That God would help you through those trials and tribulations. And that He will help you to be able to do what you're supposed to do and carry out His will. God's will is going to keep going. He's not going to leave it undone. But are we going to allow Him to use us to carry out His will that He intends for our life? and our families, and those that are around about us. As they're coming this morning, the Lord's spoken to you. Maybe there's somebody that you know of that's going through a, a time of trial and tribulation and a battle. Maybe there's someone you need to pray for. Maybe you need to pray for someone that's lost. We certainly have a nation that needs prayer there as well. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you, dear Lord, for all the things that you've done to us. Father, we're thankful. Lord, that you first loved us. Lord, you loved us so much that you gave your life for us. Lord, shed your blood for our sins so we could have everlasting life. Oh, God, we thank you for it. Lord, forgive us for times we've failed. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Lord, help us, dear Lord, as we're faced with the things in this life, as we're faced with the difficult decisions, as we're faced with those hard times, the trials and tribulations. God, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Lord, help us to have the faith and the courage that we place in you, dear Lord. Lord, help us, dear Lord, to have a tenderness we need to discern thy will. Give us the strength we need to follow it through, dear God, we ask and pray. Lord, I pray that you be the needs upon each and every heart that's gathered on the altar this morning. And Lord, in this church, Lord, all the prayer requests, Lord, those that are sick, Lord, those that are lost, Lord, remember our nation, dear God. Lord, we pray for revival. Lord, we pray that you would use us as instruments of your will. Lord, if it be thy will, we could see revival in our homes, in our lives, in our churches, and across our land. Lord, we could see this nation come to back to know you, dear Lord. Lord, help us now, we do pray. But Lord, we thank you for everything that you have done, what you are doing, and what you promised you shall do. Oh, we love you, Lord Jesus. For in Jesus' name, we do ask and pray. Amen. Amen.